Hi everyone, welcome to PA Talks, an interview series by Parametric Architecture, the world's most renowned avant-garde architecture platform about parametric and computational design. We meet the architecture and design pioneers on this podcast and talk about their careers, experiences, methodologies, and visions for the future. My name is Hamid Hasanzadeh, founder and editor-in-chief of Parametric Architecture Platform. Welcome to the show, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. To support this podcast, please check the links in the description. Make sure to follow our platform on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and support us on Patreon. You may listen to this conversation on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We invited Sydney-based architect Koichi Takada to join us today. Koichi Takada belongs to a new generation of architects that strive to bring nature back into the urban environment, an approach he matured after living in cities like Tokyo, London, and New York. Koichi established his practice in 2008 and has brought a Japanese sensibility to Australian architecture, with each project embodying his commitment to organic form and consideration for human experience. Through a series of award-winning designs, his growing practice is gaining an international reputation with projects in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Tokyo, Shanghai, Los Angeles, Doha, and Mexico City. Koichi's emphasis is on a connection to nature, on humanizing and naturalizing the urban environment. He has invested himself in forms of architecture that speaks to the local landscapes, heritage, and traditions. Koichi accepts and encourages a sensitive connection to nature, surrounding and elicits an emotional response from users. Koichi Takada sees a new beginning for a post-COVID time, when naturalizing architecture will be the way forward, empowering the next generation that follows. Before starting this episode, I wanted to talk about Pacademy, which is an architectural educational platform powered by Parametric Architecture to spread the idea of using parametric design and computational tools in architecture. Pacademy has broadened its work experience and collaboration with pioneering architects and designers dealing with diverse and numerous topics of computational design and digital fabrication. So if you guys are ready, please join me for this insightful conversation with Koichi Takara. Welcome to Koichi, and we are so excited to have you here, and maybe you can say hi and start. Thank you so much for uh, invite me, inviting me for this talk, and uh, you know, I watched many episodes, and uh, you know, great to be uh, adding to another version of uh, your collection. Thank you so much, appreciate that. So why you don't introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, I'm Koichi Takada, uh, my practice is based in Sydney, Australia. Uh, you know, I have a Japanese heritage, uh, you know, grew up in uh, uh, Japan, of course, and uh, Hong Kong, Singapore. Then I moved to uh, New York to study my architecture and then kept moving to London at the Architecture Association. Uh, and then uh, eventually I went back to Tokyo, uh, worked for architects uh, there, and then eventually ended up in Sydney. And it's all sort of uh, my journey was instigated by wanting to know more about the world and architecture was sort of a vehicle in which uh, I don't know somehow made me travel around the world yeah awesome so you studied your architecture at AA yeah that's right so um, no it's uh, it's interesting because uh, my dream was to go to New York 
uh, from Tokyo. And, and I don't know, somehow I was so inspired by that image of Manhattan, you know, all the skyscrapers and it just nothing I ever seen, you know, anything like it. And, and, and Tokyo has skyscraper, we have, you know, earthquakes. So there's a limitation in which we built all these high rises everywhere. But Manhattan is such a concentration of this built environment. So I, I don't know, I was so inspired by it. And, and I, I went to New York, of course, and and uh, thought that New York was one of the best places to study architecture because of the built environment. And um, did you find what were you looking for at, in New York? Uh, so it, it's interesting. It turned out to be a nightmare. <laughs> That's why I'm posing this question. It's been such a dream for many years when, when I was turned 16 that, wow, I have to go there. And I, every day I was remember talking to my friends and parents and never stopped dreaming about it. Then by the time I got to New York in 18, I remember I come out of Lincoln Tunnel and look up to these high-rise buildings and I was really shocked. And, uh, and in fact, I lived in New York, uh, sorry, Manhattan, New York City. Um, and uh, I don't know, I hated it so much because of this built, I don't know, like you live in between buildings and never felt comfortable. Uh, pace was too fast. Uh, it took many, many years to get used to New York City. But one thing that I really liked was visiting Central Park in New York. And that was just such a amazing habit, become a habit every morning, Saturday, uh, I, I went there to play baseball and uh, I mixed with American kids and it was sort of, I don't know, all the international baseball players and we played baseball and I, that was such a great bonding and experience within this foliage of trees and call it the nature. And, uh, and then I, I realized studying architecture, I don't know, somehow it was a lot of pressure, many hours, and I was not sure whether I was keeping up to it, but every time I went to Central Park, somehow I recharged myself and then sort of wondered, why can't architecture be like Central Park? Why can't <laughs> architecture had, had to be this built form and it's all about I'm taller than the others or I go higher and this and that. And, and I kind of hated that notion. And, and, and then really the question started and, and I almost quit architecture, I suppose. It was too much pressure. And, and I thought, okay, well, then I have to live with this, kind of built environment organizing me rest of my life or be in architecture and and change it and then I kept questioning since that you know why can't design architecture like Central Park and I, I found out of course Central Park is man-made so and and this is I suppose the foundation in which uh, we we designed architecture today yeah right and after that after New York you moved to London for master's degree uh, how was London? I think the London uh, immediately felt, you know, the scale came down. I mean, the, all the, you know, I suppose the flat I lived in New York was obviously high rise. And then immediately the scale was more intimate. And uh, I instantly like kind of that environment, a little bit more humanized environment, if you like, and um, human scale, maybe. And and, and then the school was fantastic. AA was just every day I enjoy, you know, meeting uh, friends. I made friends with all the international students and, you know, listening to their language or culture or uh, every day was something learning new. And, uh, and then obviously we had great um, 
you know, tutors uh, and uh, cri critics and and under, end up taking, uh, you know, Peter Beard and Alejandro Tayla Polo and Fashi Musavi uh, and Rem Kuhas was uh, kind of a visiting workshop. Which year is this? Which year is this? Uh, this was 1993 to 1996. So this right. was when that called it the Foreign Office Architects was, uh, I think, before established. And for me, it was liberating because I saw, let's say, Alejandro and Fashit built, you know, became who they are from scratch. And yeah. it was such uh, a great experience as a student. Imagine being next to them and, and watching them grow as well as an, uh, you know, great one of great architects in the world. Yes, uh, Farshid is an amazing architect and she's also Iranian. Uh, we invited her a couple of times to join to the show, but maybe in the future, maybe in the near future, we will have him, uh, we will have her in the show. But yeah, that's really awesome. And then you, you, after London, you graduated from AA, you've gone back to Tokyo. And how was that experience of London and New York and then getting back to your hometown? What was that experience like? Yeah, so I sort of met a few architects from Japan uh, after my graduation. I think it was nine, nine very, you know, well-known architects from Japan, included uh, Sejima-san and, you know, Kazuo Sejima, Kengo Kuma, uh, who else? I mean, there was, you know, uh, so many architects I look up to came to London and they were looking for a translator. And I was the sort of student, just finished, of course, and... Not many people could translate architects talk from <laughs> Japanese to English. And uh, I don't know, somehow I did a few of them. And uh, so one of them, Atsushi Kitagawara, I ended up working for in, in Tokyo. I think two or three offered me a job after that translation. <laughs> and they said that uh, if, they can if he can translate all these architects' philosophy, <laughs> he must be good or something like that so i became popular okay. and they start sort of trying to offer me a job but yeah no very thankful that that uh, you know i went from london back to tokyo uh, without you know worrying too much about where to where, where where i would be working in the future yeah yeah and uh, how how did you end up being in sydney you got married or you met a new <laughs> partner or <laughs> yeah yeah that would have been nice but i think look uh Atsushi had a, a project uh, in Sydney and the Museum of Contemporary Art. And we, we were invited as uh, one of international architects to compete. Very controversial project because the winner then kept changing uh, over years. But um, anyway, we were one of the competitors and, and I came to Sydney with Atsushi Kitagawara. And, and I remember the first day I arrived, it was... Uh, I just fell in love, you know, the climate was fantastic. The people were so nice, the food, the nature. Oh, I think everything about it, I, I think it, it only took me five seconds to, I don't know, maybe less than five seconds, I come out of airplane and then I, I knew in the air. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I loved it instantly. I'm going to stay in the city. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, I end up working for, in fact, the local architects that collaborate with us. And then I end up staying in Sydney. And um, uh, since, yeah, um, 20... 20 years. Oh, my God. So around 2000, it was around 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before Sydney Olympic was 2000. So um, this would have been 1998. 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So you started your practice around 2008 from zero uh, in, in, in Sydney. And the first year, almost the first year you were alone, it was only you. Can you discuss about the challenges of growing an office from zero employee to almost 50 now, if I'm, if I'm right, and working globally? What are those challenges? Yeah, so when... Um... So I almost did the decade, 10, 10 plus years uh, uh, learning or training, practicing under, you know, other architects, uh, uh, which was very beneficial to learn the rules, you know, regulation and rules about uh, uh, architecture here uh, specifically. And then, and somehow it came to me and decided to establish my practice uh, straight after global financial crisis, which was 2008. I remember I met uh, Toyo Ito. Ito-san said something like, it's the best time to start practice in a recession. <laughs> and okay. I, I, I remember looking at Ito-san and I thought, you must be kidding. <laughs> and he said, that's how I started. And he, you know, and it's so, so nice of him to share his story. I don't know, somehow I have guts to start and everybody, of course, thought, you're brave or you're crazy or, you know, and there was the time when 20, 30 people were laid off in one go. And if you imagine it just really, uh, I, I, I saw it as opportunity and just a bit like a COVID, you know, after all these years, you know, after a decade, we have another crisis, but, you know, I think life is the way you see it. And for me, it was always glass half full. That's right. Uh, what happened exactly at that time that you decided to have your own office? What was the force? Like, what was the inspiration behind it? You have all this, uh, you know, like I mentioned about watching Alejandro and Farshid. And, and of course, uh, I watch all the great architects back in AA days giving a lecture and they're telling their stories. And I, of course, I read uh, how they establish practice. And, you know, um, so you naturally think of this all the time. But, um, you know, when it comes to establishing, you need some assurance. So I actually did have potentially a two, three project. So that gave me enough confidence to start, let's say. But GFC, after two months, I left my employment. I started my practice from scratch. Then after two, three months, all the projects that promised essentially were canceled. Wow. So... <laughs> the feeling of nervousness every time you you wake up in the morning not knowing what to do and i remember i rent this place and i went to to my white desk and opened up sketchbook <laughs> which was no sketch in it then white canvas and i don't know it's been a tradition so you always go back to that white blank canvas i don't know it gives you a lot of imagination and a lot of thoughts come to your mind and you start sketching or writing down or so that's how i started so essentially by myself and, uh, you know, uh, and then now, as you mentioned, uh, 50 people, but uh, I, I don't know, it's really about not knowing the direction. And, and we knew that uh, there's certain uh, discipline, disciplinary and uh, certain field of project that we would be very good at. So we naturally mm -hmm. focus on that and practice makes perfect instead of trying to be multidisciplinary we focus on certain type of project and try to be good at it. And that really worked really well. And, you know, we grew steadily. How, 
Have you ever wanted to connect with pioneering architects and designers to learn more about parametric design and computational tools? Then you may wish to join Pacademy, an educational platform powered by parametric architecture to spread the idea of using parametric design and computational tools in architecture. Pacademy has broadened its collaboration with pioneering architects and designers, dealing with diverse and numerous topics such as computational design, 3D printing, robotic fabrication, procedural methods, space architecture, metaverse design, design in VR, AR, and many more topics. You can register and join the live workshops or watch the previous studio workshops recordings. To learn more, you can visit parametric-architecture.com slash pacademy. After, after those kind of projects were canceled, how many months or let's say how many was it a year as well you didn't have any project or was the qatar project your first one i think that uh my one of my first one was we nicknamed cave restaurant so there was this um very nervous clients of mine I, i mean sort of became my friend but he was he had this designer that pretty much failed to convince council so he didn't get approval and uh he was running out of time he came to me so desperate I, I sort of said well if you built my design sort of we made a deal and uh, he said you look at it go wow can you actually build this anyway so that was my first project and um and and then it's kind of that took off and gave me a confidence and and, and also interesting that when we finished the project he sat me down and said oh can you actually stay here with me. I want to show you something. So he played music in this restaurant and he said, can you feel it? This acoustic is unbelievable. And I smiled and said, well, that okay. was the concept. <laughs> that was the concept, you know, and it's sort of interesting. And that was the first project that I suppose talk about nature or relationship with nature and brought the element of nature back into the, into the city. And, and it's not just talk about the, the, the look and feel, but it was actually the experience. And uh, so this, this was one of the first project. Another important project was the uh, interior design that we won over competition. Uh, the building, one central park designed by John Nouvelle, Atelier John Nouvelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so uh, that was the competition. I remember my clients rang me and said, do you want to do this? And, but you only have three days. Well, don't be afraid. <laughs> oh, by the way, you were up against three or four very prominent architects locally. Competitor. Sydney. Yeah. yeah. So I was not thinking about winning, but I don't know. Just thought thinking outside the box and try something that, you know, I suppose, the, you know, connect to Nouvelle's architecture and Patrick Blanc had this beautiful, wonderful vertical greening and if you like urban jungle uh, and I really love that sort of concept and and uh, you know I, I just did the scheme that of course connect you know through natural materials and you know again the idea of bringing the nature back into your living space and and hence connect with Nouvelle's architecture vision all that so I don't know it was kind of end up being seamless and 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 uh, we won the comp and I think those two projects really started my practice. One of them is, if I'm right, is the cave project. And the other one is East Village. 
Oh, East Village, yeah, yeah. East Village was also interesting how it happens. And I suppose uh, my message to, of course, younger generation. <laughs> and I was sitting in a meeting room with other architects designing the building and, and, and we were appointed as an interior designer and this was not my scope. So I was listening, but they start fighting between architects and builders and clients and architects want to get rid of these columns. And after 20 minutes, it was just, I don't know, I can't say the words that they were talking, sort of a language, Hamid. So, but, okay. but I said, please, can you stop talking? Can you, if, if it's okay, can you give me two days? I'll come up with a concept. If you like, you can build it and you don't have to get rid of the column. So you say multi-millions, blah, blah, blah. And clients are going to go, are you sure? And I said, yes. So I, I gave this idea to grow you know, trees around the column and become a very symbolic gesture marketplace for local community within the big shopping mall. So it was quite a, quite a symbolic gesture coming from clients and very important space within this yeah. big element. That's really fantastic. And the, these columns, are they somehow inspired from the growth of mushrooms as well? Or because those lines coming up like a mushroom getting, going around, uh, is there something? I wish. You wish, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, actually natural timber. So uh, a yeah. bit like the Qatar project. It's nice, of course, anything natural is beautiful and smell and change, change color nicely. And even today, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's nice. I mean, the use is slightly changed, but still a part of this uh, area where people gather and people tie dogs and, you know, they talk about it under the tree and pop-up shop. And it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, addition. And you now almost are using the same concept in bigger scales as well. Is that right? Like these columns, uh, these elements coming up like a mushroom or like a tree, they have this uh, covering an area. Yes, forest tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And then we work really hard to obtain the uh, green credential. So in Australia, we have five star and one of the five star building and equal, including marketplace. And so, you know, very sustainable as well. So we were really, you know, happy that we got this project and again, never assumed, you know, you could think outside the box and I suppose challenge to get the project like that. And Qatar was obviously, I mean, you mentioned other ones that I remember a story, my story, you know, when I received email from clients, I think it was clients uh, organization, we thought it was a scam. So we almost didn't open it. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but the description really, I sort of knew that this may might have been maybe the John Nobel design Desert Rose Museum, which was just published in one of the social media. So I guessed it, right? And uh, then of course, after signing confidentiality and all that, we were, we were one of six comp international competitors to compete and then the rest is of course the history. That's inspiring. You may not end up opening that email or it, it could end up being a spam folder. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I think there's uh, obviously a lot of scam. In fact, there are scams. So please yeah. be careful, uh, all the listeners. And, and, and I think we got called once as well in a different project. We thought it was another kata and then, you know. So anyhow, but, you know, when this one was really, you know, one of the best projects, I suppose, you could take in the world at the time. Exactly. I mean, it, it's really fantastic when I when I see 
all these images anytime in any social media i say oh my god i need to visit this place <laughs> like it's like it's it's really a cave-like environment inside this gift shop and built with woods and yeah it's just really awesome the atmosphere those touchings do you want to talk a little bit more about this project where did you inspire how uh you managed to convince the clients how was the process of these presentations design uh yeah yeah i mean we studied of course the architecture inspired by desert rose uh, so Nivelle's team had this sort of uh, very complex geometry so when um, we given this uh, i remember opening katia yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. So in here, Atelier Janoel was your client. No, 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 no. The uh, AJN was uh, architects. We we given the space by clients to okay. com compete for this six. We, we given six actually parts of interiors and bookshop, yeah. gift shop was one of the areas. Um, and uh, so anyway, so we when we given that context was there's a rose inspired architecture mm -hmm. if you like and it was very complex geometry when we open up in katia it was the only software that could open it then but anyway by the time we understood that space it was really difficult to even comprehend in a normal in a <laughs> conventional sense because there's no straight wall there's no sense of straight you know like flat floors and that was so complex but anyway so um, we were really drawn by this nature inspired architecture which align ourselves and we studied this crystallization of this desert rose and and uh, we found out that um, this uh, so-called uh, cave of light so the Qatar is quite flat of course uh, in a desert landscape this cave of light is quite a dramatic formation of this cave out of all the flatness. And I really like that emotional experience going into the cave and also introduced by clients. And, and I, I, I thought that this it could be uh, inspiration of this natural heritage. And, and, then, and the museum itself is really about preserving or telling the story, Qatari story, yeah? So we look to inspiration uh, to our, our cultural heritage and as well as the natural heritage and uh, cultural heritage such as, uh, you know, uh, you, you sort of dine sitting on the uh, floor and the majlis dining set, a bit like tatami floor for Japanese people. And then natural heritage, of course, in Cave of Light. And, and we wanted to sort of tell, uh, you know, something that is very much local from a local culture and, uh, and then created this bookstore out of, uh, you know, this natural living material. So actually, in fact, the aroma the, is really fantastic. And every time you go, it, it gives you a different experience. Of course, I, I've been recently in Dubai for Expo uh, 2020, but my next destination will be in Middle East will be Qatar, definitely to m visit some of these uh, amazing architecture uh, is being built in Qatar. Yeah, that's one of my destinations. Awesome, great. Uh, one of the reasons I really like your project, you are constantly inspired by nature and try to represent it in different language. Let it be in materials, let it be in form or atmosphere. Uh, and for example, you're getting inspired by uh, caves, sunflowers, maple trees, even cherry blossoms, waterfall, and many more other concepts. Uh, what's the inspiration behind and where do you find these inspirations? 
I think the uh, nature's has been always our inspiration, and we were very much conscious of that. So, you know, the first decade we were really um, advocating the reconnection uh, ourselves with nature in the urban environment, and this was really important. Um, and uh, but. Um, uh, you know, I was researching the definition of nature and it's, I, I was a little bit troubled by it because it says that essentially anything in this side is man-made, artificial, if you like, you draw a line, <laughs> any rest of it is natural yeah. and defined by the atmosphere of the planet Earth, let's say. Right. And, and I suppose that, that that balance is shifting, right? Because the man-made artificial become more dominant, hence we have a climate change and all the other kind of health crisis as we experience today. So I suppose that the idea of looking at this, I'm not changing definition, but blurring the boundary between the natural and, and artificial. And that's what we're really genuinely interested. So, you know, why can't we create architecture that uh, could be highly artificial, but performs like nature so that, you know, you don't, confine the definition of nature as in diminishing part of the world but you could True. then you know compensate with the artificial as opposed to technology and intelligence to recreate that balance and reconnect with the uh, remaining parts of the nature so so this is really the part of the inspiration motivation of what we do and what we practice today absolutely right and your architecture also speaks so much about the landscape heritage and traditions so how do you connect this nature inspired concepts uh, with the heritage with the landscapes how do you showcase them in your design i think that um it's interesting i mean the the word is probably climatizing so that's one of the key words that we use so when you start project we obviously love to visit the place uh you know and to you know, you come out of it, just like I came to Sydney in the first instance, I remember the first impression last and, you know, and it's really important. One. So then you climatize yourself. Middle East is really important, interesting one always. And it's really hot. I remember everything is hot, right? You come out of airplane and in between air condition and come yeah. out of the car and then, it's, you know, it's like massive contrast, cold and hot and, and anyway so you climatize yourself eventually and then part of that process is really the key to how we design architecture and there's a lot of hint in, in doing that physically speaking and, and and we really rely on that experience uh and today's let's say in the pandemic situation unfortunately we cannot visit the site so we are trying to understand gathering data and research and if you like that part of climatizing but we're trying to sort of simulate it because, you know, that's the part that whether you're in, uh, you know, Australia or Asia or, you know, Any part East of or Europe, yeah. we are we experience in the same way as a human being. And if you have to create the comfort or other means, this is the one of the basic starting point as an architect. And the climatizing, our self-climatizing architecture is really a key part of, uh, let's say, localizing our design as much as we can. Mm -hmm as a foreigner coming to new culture. And, and that's a fundamental, let's say, the first impression of how we, how we design. Absolutely amazing. And how does being a Japanese-born architect affects your, the way you design or the way you think about solving the problems or the, the design process? 
how does it affect your design? Like you have something bringing with yourself, uh, your local uh, traditions, your experiences that you had in Tokyo. What do you think how it affects the way you think about projects? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, when I grew up in, in Tokyo, you know, in Japan, we, 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 we have beautiful nature for seasons, for instance, and uh, the nature is very close to our living, right? But, but that's the part of the beautiful part of nature, but equally, you know, in Japan, you know, earthquake and tsunami and there's that sort of uh, dangerous part of the, the natural phenomena that we learn to live with. And I think that, you know, child, as a child growing up, and we, I remember a lot of earthquakes, a lot of typhoon, and, and we lived nearby this big river, which was almost about to flood, and, and things like that I remember so vividly. My dad took me and sort of warned me, if this happened, we have to, you know, escape, blah, blah, blah. So in other words, we, you learn to respect, you know, nature. Nature. And you learn to live and coexist and co-live with nature. I think that's a really fundamental part, I suppose, and, and form, you know, the foundation in which how we design architecture today. And that's probably very Japanese things to do. No, uh, that's obvious. There are a lot of uh, natural, um, uh, let's say, happenings there, uh, earthquakes, floods, tsunamis. And people are at this some point, they, they, they need to get used to it and they need to uh, know how to uh, live by these kind of threats. And it's also, I, I think, an inspiration point to build up the hope and also work for it. So I think in Japan, there's a lot of these kind of technological advancements regarding that. People are really strong in dealing with these kind of challenges. Resilient, yeah. Now, it's interesting, today's uh, in Sydney, we, uh, we consider, you know, giving that kind of respect to indigenous culture. And uh, uh, our recent project, we actually talked to indigenous Aboriginal community. And uh, it's a great because, you know, you get this an incredible insight and inspiration, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, these people. And, and I was talking to Eldry and sort of, we connected talking about the earthquake. And I said, I could almost feel five minutes before earthquake comes. It's a bit like the way animal react, I suppose, right? Oh my God. Yeah, and I was talking to him and I, I could almost sense that it's coming. And he, he looked at me and go, wow, we share the same you understand our culture and we, oh we really God. connect connect you know i connect with the elderly and 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 thereafter we had wonderful talk about it and again that foundation is that respect you know and uh, as you mentioned hamid it's it's the threat but you learn to live with it you know and of course the use of technology or innovation does help and being resilient and talk about safety today is uh, you know absolutely paramount subject even in architecture so you know uh, it, it's uh, it's a kind of interesting that uh, as much as this is innate being in, you know i suppose raised in a japanese culture and now applying i suppose in other culture but we still share as a human being in a different even as uh, indigenous cultural um, community so i was really fascinated by it yeah absolutely respect i respect i have a lot of respect for japanese people
And some of the main challenges of our cities these days are, and of course the people living within them are the environmental impacts, uh, aging, health, housing, social segregations, mobility, new forms of government, and many more kind of projects. How do you see the future of city uh, such as Sydney? And what is uh, its opportunities, challenges, and the way forward for the city? And what kind of what can architects do for these challenges? Just the way I love living in Sydney, and and uh, I call it sort of city and nature in balance, or at least it used to be, you know. And uh, why it used to be? <laughs> now is is changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, you know, twenty odd years ago when I arrived, uh, you know, uh, we were walking in the bed. Their feet on the street. It's, it's wonderful. You connect with the ground and all that. Now it's become more, I suppose, formalized and become just like another, I wouldn't say another, but like, you know, big cities, right? Mentality. Right. And uh, as an architect, of course, uh, we're very much responsible to keep that balance. And it's really about sustainability and, uh, and create this one of the uh, most livable city in the world. But and equally the greenest one. We have a great uh, natural resource. I mean, you know, uh, we're so lucky with this weather, the climate to begin with. Uh, we have great beach, just five minutes off the city centers or, you know, the harbors and beautiful landscapes. And so, you know, we have a lot of inspiration in nature that we could then take, take on to build the environment. And, and I think that Sydney um, it could be, you know, one of uh, a leading example uh, for the future cities in terms of, of course, the technology and, and, and talk about other, you know, uh, aspect that inevitably city is transforming. But uh, in terms of looking at creating uh, the sustainable sense of uh, greener city, we have initiative by, uh, you know, Lord Mayor talk increasing the, you know, tree canopies has been a, a massive agenda uh, and pedestrianization is really, really becoming uh, common. So you go to this mainstream, no longer cars allowed in and, and I'm a, you know, cyclist and, you know, I'm wearing cycling gear, but like for cyclist friendly, pedestrian friendly city. So all of this is great initiative and I think important part of humanizing our cities. And, uh, and I think this is the part in which Sydney can really demonstrate one of the leading examples. And uh, I'm really very much looking forward to contributing to it. Awesome, great. Would love to visit Sydney <laughs> after the pandemic, of course, if they allow. And uh, the sustainable built environment uh, is a multi multiple dimensioned uh, environment, society and economy, or let's say life cycle viewed and across dozens of subject areas from material manufacturing to building design and engineering to indoor in environmental quality to community cohesion and urban planning. Where do you think architects stand in this wide range, wide range of industries related to this topic? And how can they contribute for uh, the sustainable built, built environments? I mean, that's a very complex question. But I think, look, long story short version as industrial, we call it 3P. So uh, the first P is profit. Uh, and uh, people and planet. 
and and it's really about balancing act of economy social aspect social. environmental aspect yeah and uh you know unfortunately our industry 40 almost 40 percent of greenhouse emission come from construction and quality let's say our industry yeah we have a lot of contribution for the climate change yeah we have a massive responsibility but equally it's a great opportunity to turn these things around and mitigate that climate change problems and imagine if you can get that together half of the problem you know we could possibly uh, make it better if not resolve completely and this is really this has to be a massive motivation and uh and and and, and of course we cannot uh, isolate you know the planet away from profit nor the people and ultimately as as we call it naturalizing our cities and 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 uh you know, important. I mean, ultimate goal is really to create humanizing part of human centric environment. And, uh, and it's really about the survival of humankind in many ways. So, you know, from that point of view, this called balancing act of 3P, uh, we really need to consider across the, you know, every sector and every project that we take on. And, and it's becoming a very uh, complex subject uh, to convince clients. And, and, and we're not a, a, a perfect in terms of achieving the goal, but certainly we need to keep trying and keep, keep sending the strong message uh, to the world. Yeah, awesome. And also, uh, I've, I've heard that uh, and I've seen in your projects that you're talking about carbon positive. Uh, would you like to give us some secrets on how other architects can go for carbon positive projects? <laughs> well, in, in our thinking, uh, we had the workshop and uh, since the Industrial Revolution, imagine about 200 years um, of, uh, you know, call it pollutions and all the environmental dis- disaster that we have to endure, including the world wars. So there was a lot of destruction of environment. And... Uh, and what we're talking about politically is to reverse this somehow magically. 20, we're talking about 20, 30, 20, 50 vision, which would be less than 30 years. You know, how do you reverse 200 years in 30 years? And uh, this is a really a massive challenge. And, uh, but I think that perhaps a lot of hint is in technology. We could take technology as a means in which fast track this, uh, you know, problems. So, uh, yeah, so we, we, are, we are massively motivated to drive this and uh, we have to continuously, you know, talk about it and, and, and to pass the knowledge to next generation and uh, motivate people and empower the world accordingly. I hope, I hope. Uh, we have less time to save the planet. <laughs> Sorry, uh, carbon positive. One of our project to fast track that we we come up, you know, let's say trying to make carbon neutral project as as, as many as we can, and uh, this is on its own massive challenge. But if we just do carbon neutral, we won't achieve the neutrality that we desire. Hence that idea of carbon positive, which means that you know you can uh, generate the surplus of energy uh, within architectural uh, infrastructure. And to give back to the, the grid, right? And 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 a good example is Sunflower House that uh, we propose. Uh, you don't pay any bills living in this house, and uh, and this sort of sunflower house, just like the the natural sunflower, it follows the sun. 
so it charge in a most efficient fashion uh, and so you get the solar energy and and there's no air condition so you could actually naturally ventilate by the pressure differential and and the living room itself turned so imagine in a you know cold day you follow the sun in a hot day you just you know turn away from the sun to create being the shade and and with that kind of um you know dynamic right in the modernism it was all about static and you know about the talk people talk more about the aesthetic and stuff but now it's really about the performance the performance in the sense that you 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 give back more than you take no, that's an amazing project. Another of my favorite projects. <laughs> is, is it uh, going to be built, these houses? or? Yeah, so uh, we're still looking for the owner. So <laughs> okay. if anybody like to uh, build one, uh, you know, it's amazing to do so. Uh, but anyhow, so that idea of that carbon positive house, a uh, lot of people really come on board our clients. So uh, we will be demonstrating with uh, some of the project and uh, we will be keep keep pushing to make it minimum neutral, but ideally climate positive, creating that carbon positive uh, project as, as, yeah. as much as we can. Have you ever wanted to connect with pioneering architects and designers to learn more about parametric design and computational tools? Then you may wish to join Pacademy, an educational platform powered by parametric architecture to spread the idea of using parametric design and computational tools in architecture. Pacademy has broadened its collaboration with pioneering architects and designers, dealing with diverse and numerous topics such as computational design, 3D printing, robotic fabrication, procedural methods, space architecture, metaverse design, design in VR, AR, and many more topics. You can register and join the live workshops or watch the previous studio workshops recordings. To learn more, you can visit parametric-architecture.com slash pacademy. And what lessons did we as a civilization learn from the pandemic? Yeah, I, I was really, I mean, we, we talk about this a lot in a, you know, practice and, uh, you know, we were quite impressed how we adapted. So, you know, we were working in office one day, government said, you have to work from home. And just really overnight, we turned the system around and adapted. And, and um, you know, uh, I have to thank my IT guys, but uh, <laughs> you know, they did amazing job uh, to just do that almost literally overnight. And then that this becomes a way of working today, right? Like many, not just us, the entire world is talking about hybrid working system and, and sure. uh, we are getting used to this. Uh, and then pandemic, this happened and we adapted so quickly. And, and then we, we really hope, hope that this kind of, you know, adaptation, if you can apply to climate change and other, I suppose, the crisis that we face as a humankind I think that's the kind of mentality that we learn and we hope to apply, hope to motivate other people to, to do this together. Yeah, amazing. And are there any other architects uh, that you admire their work or yet get inspired from them? 
I think you mentioned a couple of names at the beginning of the talk, but if you want to mention specifically, yeah, here's the time. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I'm an architecture nerd, so I, I, I love so many <laughs> architects and I went to AA and went to a lot of lectures and admired, you know, many, many architects. But, you know, recently uh, we won the project with Kengo Kuma and his team in Sydney. And um, I don't know, somehow, Kuma-san, I came across a few times uh, over the course of my career. And, um, and, and it goes back to, remember, I talked about the translation and Kuma-san yeah. was one of the architects, young architects, actually, rising architects from Japan to present RIBA in London. And um, so that was my first. And, and then I, I think I won one of the competition, idea competition, international competition, judged by architects, one of architects were uh, Kuma-san. And um, so then I remember going to the grand ceremony. I was so excited to to meet all these great architects as a student, you know. But then Kuma-san said something like, we were rethinking if Koichi should be a grand prize winner. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I was so devastated. You know, you, you gave me a grand prize and you were still questioning. At the, at the ceremony and they came to me and questioned me and I started asking me questions. They still debating whether you should be the winner. And I was so shocked. And I remember, and I asked him, I said, like, why, 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 what was the problem with my scheme? And he said, simply at the time, this was 20 odd years ago, they didn't see architecture. He couldn't see architecture in my scheme. Hence, this is architectural competition. Why do we make you a winner if you did not design architecture? And of course, my, my approach was nature, landscape, you know, it's not a kind of built form that I was proposing. So anyhow, so this was the first encounter. And, and today, I think the question to this question, why can't the form of landscape be in architecture? Remember the Central Park days. Yeah. And one of the answers is what we actually proposed and won with uh, Kumasan and his team in Sydney. And, and it's a wonderful, over 20 odd years, we kept asking this question <laughs> as a competitor and judge, and uh, now we're coming together and then I suppose answer that question as one of the examples. Mm-hmm. Have, have any of your idea has changed since back then uh, about why can a landscape can't be architecture or can be architecture? Have your idea evolved or changed? Yeah, certainly a bit like nature, of course, evolve and adapt and, you know, and, and sort of talking about climatize and you go to different cities and you, of course, change. And in nature, nothing is straight in, you know, everything, every tree is unique and I'm fascinated every time I walk on the street, like every single tree is different, right, and unique. And exactly. it's so fascinating. Yeah. So from that principle, I think, uh, you know, I like the practice that evolve just a bit like, just like a nature and uh, our way of thinking, of course, evolve and, and equally learn from, you know, great architects like Kengo Kuma and, and, and John Nouvelle, we, we work within his architecture and, and it's, it's such a privilege to, to be able to have that experience, you know, and uh, so I'm very thankful. No, I'm really proud of you uh, connected with all these architects, your own work are just amazing and uh, very valuable stuff. Which one of your projects uh, represent your architecture the best? Maybe the next one. <laughs> Always the next. The answer is the next one. <laughs> I mean, 
suppose, I mean, we talked about a lot today, but maybe Sunflower House is really close to what we are embodying our thoughts and trying to really create a concrete example of our thoughts and discussion happens in practice. And uh, the reason is that the Sunflower House is highly artificial, but performs like nature. And, uh, and it's, we're really fascinated by it. And even that use of timber, I mean, our project has a lot of natural timber and uh, we're still dealing with main maintenance of it after 10 years. But uh, I'm a bit worried that every architect now love to use timber and we have shortage of materials, especially in timber. And we use glue lime and all that, but if every architect use it, then we really have an issue as well. Yeah, <laughs> we're not shortage, just talk yeah. about embody carbon materials, all that, right? So we are equally interested in artificial form of representing that, let's say timber, because ultimately it is really about connecting with the materials, right? In a, in a sort of artificial sense, which is the emotion. The emotional part is very much uh, a very important part of uh, our motivation to be a good architect and use that emotion to communicate with other people. So from that point of view, whether that be natural or artificial, you know, and then perhaps more towards going natural, uh, sorry, artificial uh, is something that we are really interested, but again, perform like a natural. Amazing, amazing. And uh, what do you think about our platform, PA? Wow. Um, <laughs> look, I, I really love watching, you know, what, what next coming out in Instagram, for instance. And I suppose the parametric word, parametric was become quite fashionable. And I remember I was so fascinated by that computer technology, grasshopper and, you know, and, and, and in fact that computer technologies that really transformed the way we design. And, um, uh, and I remember Zaha was another one that I come across, uh, you know, and I'm really fortunate to have met Zaha in person, but uh, you know, her practice use this parametric like incredible and every project that in in a such a fluid way and and i suppose that spirit right that spirit is something that you guys are keeping it alive and then that kind of excitement wow what comes next what is the future i want to know i want to see it and and so we really uh, appreciate you guys keeping up with this you know keep up the spirit alive and, uh, you know, uh, and I, I'm really thankful that, you know, you choose our project sometimes and, and uh, you know, very humble by it. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And what kind of uh, software uh, you are mostly uh, focused on in an in, in office to, to use, for example, BIM softwares, or this is a little bit technical uh, question, but if you want to point it, point it out, you can mention a couple of softwares that are really valuable in, in working in your office. Yeah, I mean, you know, we use Rhino, of course, uh, Rhino and Grasshopper and to begin with, and we, you know, transfer that environment to Revit in BIM. And, and uh, so, in fact, we use every software. <laughs> we still use SketchUp. I think some teams still use SketchUp. And, but it's really that, you know, computer changed the way we work and uh, even lifestyle as well. We, we used to work crazy hours and as you can imagine exactly. starting up and my, my work and life balance, balance was shocking. But today it's, it's really about efficiency and you know being sustainable. And in Sydney, we have great nature. So we, 
we we have we trying to really sustain the balance and the key is the technology the computer really it's so fast track the way we work and uh, visualization it's instant right and then realistic and you can simulate day and night like no time you don't press button wait 15 minutes to render <laughs> yeah and and uh, that killed our life but now i don't know we, we it's you know it's very streamlined the way we work today exactly and uh, you're of the generation of architects before 2000 maybe you've been work with uh the the very basic software back then autocad archicad uh how do you see this transition in the last 20 years the way we used the software before to generate architecture and the way we do it now how was how was how different it was back then and how did it affected architecture what how do you think uh, it happened yeah so uh, uh, we go straight to 3d for instance we i suppose kind of skip 2d and this we learn from uh, project in Qatar, and uh, I suppose we learned from John Novell uh, using Katia, and we were really impressed uh, the way that such a complex geometry was possible in in a you know software environment. But uh, <clears throat> you know, um, I think that three D gives you a lot of feedback in a much quicker ways. Unfortunately, I think pandemic, we learned only one thing that we can't do digitally is actually sketch to scale. We, we even sketch paper, we try to be paperless. So we sketch everything digitally, trying to. And, uh, uh, but the scale drawing, we can't do. So that's the only thing we can't do. If, if you have to go back to the traditional mean of, let's say planning a, you know, uh, apartment or, you know, planning a museum, anything like that, you still need to go back to print out drawing and do it in a traditional ways. But new generation, I think a bit like playing, playing in a game, go straight into 3D environment and not even looking at 2D and some project, I think we just submit the 3D BIM, BIM model <laughs> okay. and not even doing the traditional sense of drawing. So I think that uh, it's quickly changing and it certainly helps to be paperless in, in this regard. Uh, I'm still half and half, I suppose, but, uh, but again, the computer technology completely changed the way we work and, and uh, equally the lifestyle that, that comes with as an architect. And, and we were really a great promoter of, you know, really trying to enjoy life because with life, you get a lot of inspiration. <laughs> yeah. And most of yeah. my idea personally, and uh, I don't know others, not not doesn't come from being in office when i was cycling or in a national park or by the beach it's it, i don't know it's like a form of meditation so it comes to you no that's that that's absolutely right you you can't inspire by being inside the architecture you are bringing the inspirations from outside that's absolutely true exactly yeah true. and i think that uh, complex natural geometry it can only be possible like museum that we did in Qatar gift shop it's not possible in 2d sense or sketch yeah by using digital tools we've become much more faster much more optimized we are designing much more optimized spaces forms geometries and it really helped in the past 20 years probably to the way we do architecture it, it had a lot of impacts like the one you mentioned you just uh, submitted the BIM project and that's going to happen in, in a near future for every 
country, I think. You don't need to print thousands of pages of plan sections, and, but you need to submit just BIM project digitally. That's really adorable, actually. And enjoy life. <laughs> yeah, enjoy life. Exactly. I've heard you mentioned about work-life balance. How do you manage your time between office and your personal life and also going to projects, designing, getting inspired because you need to some hours of off, some days of off. How do you manage your time? Uh, I think the you know, I used to be time poor, but I think it's really about structure it and, you know, again, technology, of course, we talked about a lot. Surprisingly, social use of social media, like, uh, you know, chat device. Uh, when I'm overseas or other staffs, you know, executive overseas, we tend to do this. Uh, and it's <laughs> quite fascinating. It's instant. And, you know, again, today, you know, in Australia, we're working from home situation and, you know, we use digital means to, to connect. And it's been very efficient. And surprisingly, during the lockdown or we sort of kind of isolation, but, uh, you know, you go from meeting to meeting without physically jumping into taxi or driving sure. and, and taking train, whatever it is. So it's so efficient. So, you know, you get extra time that you could invest on, you know, go, going to see exhibition or, you know, going to, for me, I, I love going outside and exercise and, you know, and just to recharge, it gives you a lot of motivation and, uh, you know, inspiration. Yeah. You do daily exercise. Uh, you know, lunchtime I, I run and uh, uh, oh, and cycling impressive. in the morning uh, when, whenever possible. Uh, it, it's just a great form of meditation and, you know, fit, fit, fit bodies, fit minds. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, here we come to our last question. What kind of advice would you like to share with young professionals and students? Yeah, I mean... Uh, there's so many advices, but I remember, you know, one experience that I had with my clients, I, he invited me for lunch and I went to see him and I remember he said, oh, I saw you in newspaper. And that was one of my first time was featured newspaper. And I, I remember saying something like, oh, I was very lucky. And he looked at me, there's not such a thing as luck. As luck, right. Yeah. And luck and future is something that you make. And, and then I said, oh, wow, interesting. And, and I think that really uh, a very important message that if you want to see a change, be the change. Yeah, and I, I really hopeful that they, you know, this climate change uh, problems, uh, next generations already go straight into talk, talk, not even talking about, it, but accepting that is the starting point. In our generation is in transition and that we need to get used to petrol car to electric car. And I drive electric car, for instance, and I don't know why people don't drive electric cars, but it's the mind shift, right? But next generation already into the mind shift, they would start driving electric car before they know petrol and uh, all the iPhone, you know, my son would use iPhone without knowing the sketchbook or, you know, reading books or other things. So, you know, I'm very hopeful that for the next generation to really create the better version of our world. Very inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Koichi. Uh, do you want to add any final words to this conversation? Uh, no, I really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much for your time and, and again for your invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much and goodbye. See you.
Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe to Pure Talks podcast and Spotify, Apple podcast and Google podcast in order not to miss a single episode. Also, you can find out more by going to parametric-architecture.com slash PA Talks. Again, I want to mention PA Academy or you can call it Academy, which is an educational platform powered by a parametric architecture to spread the idea of using parametric design and computational tools in architecture. Uh, you can register and join the live workshops or watch the previous studio workshops recordings please share this podcast with a url to inspire a friend also you can use hashtag pa talks on twitter instagram facebook to give us a feedback about the podcast thank you